Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Enter your consignment number followed by the hash key. One, triple, zero, four, four, hash. I'm sorry, but I still can't it's find ten. that consignment number. Please hang up. up and contact your sender to obtain this information. Can you get confirm your name and the delivery address, please? My name is Matt Calvert, and I sent it to Care of Ben Corrigan. I can uh, request that the depot speak with the driver and they give you a call? That would be great, just because, like, um, I-, I paid a bit of extra just to, to get it before 10.30am today for some work I'm doing today. They should be contacting you within the hour to confirm when the driver will be reattempting. Lovely. Was there anything else I could do to help today? No, I think that's, uh, that's more than enough. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Don't know if that was podcast gold, but... um... (laughs) Welcome all to the final episode of Series 1 of Excuse the Mess. In this podcast, we meet a different composer each episode. We dip into their sound world and hear about their creative process. Then, listen to us write a new track on the spot using only one instrument and electronic trickery. This episode features... Matt Calvert. And is hosted by me... Ben Corrigan. Episode 9 begins without an instrument. A guitar lost in the post and a guitarist lost without his guitar. It's nail-biting stuff. Keep listening to find out the conclusion of this tragic tale. So, who is Matt Calvert? He's probably best known for his guitar and synth chops in bands like Three Trap Tigers and Strobes. He's also a fantastic composer and producer. As it happens, Three Trap Tigers are one of my all-time favourite bands, so I was very excited when Matt said that he'd be up for an episode. In that band, Matt is joined by Tom Rogerson on keys and synths and Adam Betts on drums. One of their tracks, called Techers, is playing underneath. Towards the end of the episode, we're going to talk about them, particularly the drum parts, which is where a lot of the writing begins, as well as why Brian Eno is a fan of the band and their interactions with him and his oblique strategies cards. Matt also works with the hugely popular Heritage Orchestra, which is essentially an orchestra that collaborates with massive artists like Goldie or Pete Tong, recreating popular classics on a massive scale. But the main focus of this episode is what's happening on the 12th of October, and that's the release of Matt's new album, Typewritten, on Truant Records, and a date for your diary, 15th of October, the album launch at Set in Dalston in London. 
Typewritten is his debut album as a solo artist, and what's interesting and different for Matt is that it's a fully acoustic album. There are no electronics in sight, which is a first for him and the music that he's put out there. So we're going to hear all about that, the process and the thinking behind it and where a lot of the influences come from. There'll also be a number of short little snippets of some of that as of yet unreleased music. Just before we get to that, I need to say a big thank you to the supporters of the podcast, Noted Fellowship, and a new supporter, Isotope, the audio software designers who have very generously given me access to their RX6 audio editor, which is an incredibly powerful and essential bit of software that I just wish I have had always. So a massive thank you to them. And now I'm very excited to say this is episode nine featuring Matt Calvert. This is the first series two episode, okay. basically, yeah, which is going to come out crazy early, and then there's going to be a, a mega gap okay. once I get like more funding to do the rest. But yeah, this mm-hmm. is um, all in aid of the album, yeah. really. Which, congrats, is great. Thank you, man. Type yeah. written. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be nice to get it out. It's going to be a relief to get it out. Technically, it's been years in the making, with the exception of one track. I did all the recording for it last year. There is one track where the recording dates back to two thousand and seven. Really? I kind of don't want to tell people which tune it is Okay. as a test to see if I've managed <laughs> some sort of like sonic unity yeah. throughout the uh, album. Oh. Um, I actually couldn't guess. Well done, I think. You'll you have to listen job. again. Maybe you'll yeah. listen again and be like, okay, yeah, that's the one that sounds a bit... Yeah, well, well maybe that's a challenge for the listeners. They can all submit yeah. their suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, some of the material actually dates back to when I was even like studying at Guildhall. And again, I think maybe... If people listen to the album, they could probably guess maybe which of those tunes is the most like sort of jazz sounding. The annoying thing about this album is trying to describe it to people. You know, be like, oh, so what's your album mm. like? And it's like, oh, well, the obvious thing to say is it's all acoustic. That's the concept of it, which doing an acoustic album is not obviously a very original concept. It's, <laughs> it's as old as music itself to play acoustically. Yeah, exactly. In the yeah. context of like all the bands I've, I've been doing, Three Trap Tigers, Strobes, this band Ma with Tom Challenger, most of the projects I do with Heritage Orchestra, playing with Goldie. You know, these are all like very electronic heavy bands. I mean, they're all live bands. None of them really use any like programming. It's all very much about like performance, but it is about like really combining live performance with electronics, whether that's kind of synths, loads of guitar pedals and other kind of live sampling all this kind of thing. Well, the other thing is most of those bands are pretty loud. To do an acoustic project for me is personally really refreshing. Yeah, just kind of focus on sound from a slightly different angle. You know, obviously mm. those, those bands, like the, the sort of sound worlds and the aesthetics are quite uh, carefully curated. You know, it's very much about sound. And so is this, you know, that's, that's one of the sort of links really. Some of it almost feels like they could have started as electronic tracks that have mm. since been sort of rearranged for yeah. acoustic instruments and... Um, and, and live playing and all that kind of stuff. That's your lot. A tiny snippet of Ya Ya from Matt's album. There's only one song which has two people playing in the same room at the same time. Everything else was done, like, yeah, really separately. Well, I would have made some demos that did have programmed MIDI and all this stuff. Stuff that sounded like terrible i mean well 
The benefit of making a bad sounding demo is that you don't get too attached to it. Mm -hmm. I think we've all made demos which were like, oh God, if only this had been recorded a bit better or whatever, because it has such a great vibe and everything. With this, it was kind of like, man, sod that. If I want something to stay, it's just going to stay on. But all the sort of strings I've put down as guides, I know they're going. It's not going to be hard to make this sound better. Mm. (laughs) So I did record some real guitars uh, to them. And I also used the... Do you use the plugin Keyscape? No, I don't know Keyscape. Keyscape's it's by uh, Spectratronics, people mm. who do like Omnisphere and everything. Okay, and yeah. They've just done like a really meticulous multi-sample library of upright piano, grand piano, all the sort of bell tone keyboards, dulcitone, celeste. But actually using that for the demos did start to make it feel like, oh, this, this isn't like a crap sounding demo. This actually feels <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty awesome. <laughs> and actually I, I used a lot of samples from the drummer, John Blees, to kind of get the, the demos feeling, you know, inspiring enough. Sure. To sort of yeah. be like, okay, I think this is going to sound good. <laughs> yeah. So then it was really just a question of replacing all those bits gradually. So we started off three days of just drums with John, three days with Ben Trigg, the cellist, a couple of days with Tom Mason, the double bass player. I mean, that was all in the same studio, but they kind of, they were yeah. like ships in the night. Sure. No one actually played together. <laughs> and then the rest was like, yeah, very piecemeal, kind of like, well, I went back to Berlin where I was living for the last two years, you know, did a bit of uh, editing of all the stuff we'd recorded there. Then I went to Alsace in France, where Jim Hart, who's like an incredible jazz vibraphone player, but an amazing drum kit player as well. We did a bit of vibes in marimba. And then about a week later, I went to Bern in Switzerland, where I got this percussionist Julian Sartorius to do some some bits on a couple of tunes. The only the only other person I recorded in Berlin was the sax player, Otis Sancho. You, if you listen to the whole album, you won't really hear any saxophone. I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah. where's the bloody saxophone in well, the album? There's two tracks which have quite a lot of very intricate kind of clicky sounds and breath yeah. sounds and all this kind of stuff. Which ones are those? Uh, the opening track, Mute Heart, and track seven called 12051. That's the name of yeah. my postcode for where I was living in Berlin. Oh, really? Okay. But those are probably the two of the most sort of electronic sounding or feeling uh-huh. tunes. You know, yeah. they have this kind of like, it's not so much, yeah, it's not so much trying to um, like fool people into thinking it's electronic. It's yeah. more like trying to cop a bit of that aesthetic, that classic sort of Bjork, intricate programmed, flickering, glitchy kind of intricate sound world. It's more like that's the kind of thing I was trying to, yeah. trying to get on those tunes. Twelve oh five one. It's one of the singles from Type Britain, so you can have a longer listen to this one.
across the whole album, my uh, experience was that all these very high-end production things that you've done have been a big part of what made this sound actually quite unique. It is all acoustic instruments, but it's almost like you've treated them in some ways like synths. I think that kind of comes from layering. If you sort of broke down the arrangements on, say, Typewritten and the Strobes album and some of the Through Trap Tiger stuff, you'd find a lot of unison. The weird thing is you wouldn't find that many actual chords being played, even though it feels quite, you know, vertically sort of dense, mm. you know, and that mostly comes from like, well, in Tiger's it comes from either effects or even just like the hold pedal on a Juno, so that you play a melody, but it kind of leaves this kind of harmonic sort of footprint. That's the same as just playing a melody on the piano with the pedal down. Sure. You know, yeah. you don't actually have to play more than one note at a time to get this kind of like quite big harmonic sound. And I think that was what I was trying to go for with, with a lot of that. Check out those phase shifted guitars. Very nice. Nothing to Envy has this very, very intricate thing at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And it just weaves in and out of each other yeah, in yeah. a really amazing way. And it doesn't seem to have that much of a pattern to it. It's quite random. But that idea kind of came from, um, once I just had a jam with my, my twin brother and um, one of our friends, we just kind of got all our analogue synths in one room and we're just like mucking around. Someone had the idea to do a, a sequence, you know, I love like really repetitive sequencer kind of patterns. And actually I haven't really done any music like that hasn't featured in any three trap right. tigers music <laughs> or, um, or, you know, when it's actually is just sequenced, it's really artificial da, 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 kind of thing. We wrote a sequence, but then painstakingly divided every note sending from Ableton to a different synth. Yeah. And then just had all these synths with different sounds. So it did sound a bit, you know, just had this kind yeah. of really evolving but constant 16th thing. I just kind of applied that to like all the acoustic instruments, the hits, strings, the sort of choked tuned percussion stuff. Live, I was like, God, this is gonna be, this is probably gonna be the hardest thing to sound good, but actually I think it sounds all right. I really can't wait to see it live. Knowing the lineup, the instrumentation, I've seen lots of ensembles roughly in that sort of configuration. I imagine yours would have an amazing front of house person and the album would be recreated in a more interesting sort of beefed up way than a lot of those concerts might be. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, ultimately it would make sense if it is amplified, which again kind of almost goes against the nature of it being acoustic. The thing Amplify is, it. The this thing is, is 2018. Well, the thing is, the way that album was recorded, and I don't just mean the fact that it was um, it was multi-tracked and no one really played together at the same time, but, I mean, when you stick a microphone as close to an instrument as I did, that's actually not a very natural way of listening yeah. to music. I mean, you can put your ear very close to someone playing an yeah. instrument to get all that detail, but you can't put your ears close to like five different things at once. So in that sense, it's not it's not actually the most natural kind of yeah. album in some ways. Mm. Do you know what I, I mean? I know like, exactly what you mean. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, and that, right. that's why I was thinking it's, it comes from someone who's a dab hand at electronic music because of all these mic placement choices. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is about typewritten is that it goes into the kind of detail sort of sonically that I've never done really with any other release. And you'd think that maybe on a more electronic album, there would be like that kind of detail. Mm. But actually with Three Trap Tigers, it's like there isn't. That's like a different thing. That's like okay. more of a sort of bombastic kind of outpouring. And in fact, I think whenever I've tried to like get a lot of detail in on some of those records, it either it doesn't really go down that well or it doesn't like work for some reason. Okay. I love production-y kind of things. And a lot of my favourite records, even if they're not necessarily electronic, they do have quite a sort of production-y aspect to them. Yeah. There's um, that record label, Bedroom uh, Community, their ethos and yeah. approach to being in the studio is that the studio is also an instrument. The choices you make with the microphones and, and the production in it is just as important as like the, the music that they're playing. It, and rather than just putting that ensemble in a concert hall in like stereo pair in a couple of spots or something, you actually consider all those different things. Yeah, you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, I taught an arranging class for a while, and um, well. <laughs> One point I made that was like maybe really obvious was that like if you listen to the the opening of Billie Jean, it's just the most basic drum beat in the world, but you instantly know what track it is, mm. and that's because of like all these these aesthetic considerations you're talking about. You yeah, know, you could record that drum beat so many different ways. Yeah, and to me that's as important uh, a part of the arrangement as yeah. any sort of instrumentation or you know the sort of conventional considerations like instrumentation. Mm. Yeah, when it comes to like, uh, yeah, an acoustic ensemble, it's almost like the next level of orchestration. Yeah, I mean, again, thinking about Tybrin, it was like, okay, well, it is acoustic music. This kind of brings us back to like how I would describe that album or project or whatever. Like, it's acoustic, but I don't really want people to listen to it and be like, that's classical mm. or that's jazz or folk or singer songwriter or, yeah. you know, the word acoustic probably. Ha, you know, it probably has some like um, associations embedded in it, for, and they'll be different for different people. Mm. So for me, it was trying to sort of well, kind of usurp all of them because like there's definitely like a jazz influence to a lot of it. Sure, yeah. You know, even if there aren't really, well, there aren't really any like solos, but there's definitely like quite jazzy like harmony, um, rhythmically at times. There's definitely like a classical. What's the word I'm looking for? Poise. Mm-hmm. It's got, yeah, got that kind of classical kind of poise to it. This is Mute Heart, the second single from the album.
it's kind of what you were just saying about the bedroom community thing of that attention to like aesthetic so with the cello it's kind of like okay i mean god i really i must have wound ben the cellist up so much in these sessions because it was like it's like okay we do that phrase again but like you know not too much vib but you know and, and or maybe yeah. let's try it with no vib okay yeah. that's 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 too little okay no that's too, you know yeah and there is that kind of <laughs> level of detail but you know how like uh, it's almost like an anti-classical way of playing some of those instruments sure, yeah you know? but the same it's the same with like sax and woodwinds and all this kind of stuff or even just like the fact that there's only really steel string acoustic on like two tunes the rest is like nylon string guitar again nylon string guitar might just sound like god it's that's that's a bit four weddings and a funeral or <laughs> it brings to mind some sort of like rom-com kind of yeah but Porter's Head used nylon string guitar on like tunes like The Rip or whatever, and it sounds hip. So I was like, okay, well, I haven't played my nylon string guitar probably since my, my second year Guildhall classical yeah. exam. And the strings haven't been changed since then, mm. and they're green. But, <laughs> but actually, but that's going to become the sound sure. of this thing. Yeah. So it wasn't too shiny, you know, it wasn't too like, you know, formal sounding or whatever. Yeah. And then. I was just uh, a mate in Berlin and there was a resonator guitar kicking around as well. And I was like, oh, is that is that yours? And he was like, yeah, I never really play it though. I was like, oh, can I borrow it? And uh, he was like, yeah, sure. I was like, oh, I'm just, I'll just use it for a month because I'm doing yeah. my, my demos and ended up having it for like over a year. And he never <laughs> asked for it back. But the resonator, obviously it's, it's guitar-y sounding, but it almost sounds like a big banjo when you play like certain melodies on it yeah and this one was really cheap as well so it wasn't actually too clean sounding it was actually quite buzzy and nasty and when it came to sort of recording the album properly i did borrow a really nice resonator from someone it was a bit too a bit too good really you know, it, was, it was a bit too nice i ended up keeping loads of the demo uh, resonator that i'd recorded because yeah. it has this kind of buzzy clanky kind of out tune and really impossible to like you know get in tune properly but that, that became the thing. And I was like, I'm so glad I had that instead of just all quite sort of shiny steel string, normal acoustic. It's the same with the drums on that album as well. It's like, there isn't really much like sort of drum kit. There are some bits where we set up a kick drum and a snare drum and hi-hat, but the rest of it was kind of like curating a little sort of kit, well, a little percussion yeah. kind of set up for each yeah. track. If I was going to ask just a specific thing about Ren. Mm. What's the percussion in that? It sounds like you're maybe just hitting a piano or something. There is a bit of that, actually. You know, we have a quite a lot of different cool sounds. The one we ended up with, I chose because it didn't really eat into the rest of the, the sort of space too much. Yeah. It had that kind of nice, like, dead thing. You know, so it's like, do 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 clink, and that is like the tom rim. You know, there's a couple of other different, you know, tom kind of things, mm. but there's lots of little incidental, like, clicks and other things that are all like the piano. Yeah. In fact, there's there's me just, like, tapping the inside of the piano to the tom rhythm, yeah. which gives it a little sort of, like, kind of texture on top of the sort of the thuddy kind of toms. Yeah. There's another cool sound on that track, which sounds like a sort of rivet cymbal, but it's actually the lowest D flat on the piano I was really? playing. It just had like this kind of like sound to it. And that's another thing about like, so I love recording audio instead of even synths sometimes, because like synths you have to really work with to get any of that cool incidental noise artifacts yeah. to them, which can obviously be really cool. But when you're just recording normal instruments, 
just the fact that it's an object that you can even just like rub, touch, hit, all these kind of things, mm. gives you just that kind of like quite vivid image of it. Just going to pause the mat related content there for a second. And I wanted to say that I'm very grateful to Isotope for supporting the podcast. Their audio editing software RX6 is just phenomenal. I wish I had access to it in the previous series because there's so many places that it would have come in very handy. I've taken a tiny bit of conversation from the Emily Levenez Farouche episode, which was episode eight of series one. We had our chat in what I thought was going to be a quiet cafe, but it turned out not to be. Have a listen to the original audio. She was very musical and um, she was Gustav Paul's daughter and she worked with Benjamin Britten. And this is the cleaned up version using RX6. She was very musical and um, she was Gustav Paul's daughter and she worked with Benjamin Britten. It actually feels like audio magic. You can hear that the background noise has all been tamed and the speech has a lot more clarity. And I'm, I'm barely even scratching the surface of what this software can do. So thank you, Isotope. You're the best. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What you're listening to now is another one of the projects Matt's involved with. It's a band called Strobes. This track's called OK Please. Dan Nichols is the main composer in Strobes. He also plays keys and synths. Matt is on guitar and electronics. And on this track, Joshua Blackmore is on drums. Calvert, here's a little about his musical upbringing. So I, I grew up playing the guitar. My twin brother is a bass player, and our older brother was originally a drummer. 
We did have our kind of convenient like family that's, band. That's all right, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that's actually like that's like a priceless asset to learning music. I think. Yeah. Just having those people around, having that kind of network, or even just like group of friends to play with. That's it's so pivotal, mm. you know. And I, I totally appreciate not everyone has that, um, or even the space to play. Yeah. You know, that's just that is a an absolutely vital resource for developing. So really lucky in all those regards. Yeah. Me and my brothers, we all we all were just like we were into a lot of music, but it was mostly kind of rock stuff. And then, you know, there's all these kind of like gateway bands. This is the the time when Red Hot Chili Peppers were still good. So <laughs> so like Blood Sugar Sex Magic was just one of those albums. It was a complete bible to us. This is how long ago this is. I set an alarm for like 1 a.m., went into the living room, pressed record on the V the VCR to record <laughs> The 1994 Reading headline slot of no, really. Chili Peppers playing. <laughs> and then that just became our thing for like the whole summer. We were obsessed with like that band, tons of other bands, but the reason I'm sort of focusing on them is because they're the, the sort of gateway band to like checking out maybe like funk or whatever. Yeah. You know, they, they actually yeah. name check the meters in one of mm-hmm. their tunes. So yeah. it's like, who are the meters? You go away and like you check out all this kind of stuff. And then through that, you might get into like headhunters. And through yeah. that, you discover this whole world of jazz. Yeah, weirdly, I mean, you know, at the time it was still kind of like with music education, it's either, it was either classical or jazz. You didn't really have yeah. any sort of in-between. Certainly didn't know anything about electronic music. I was like, would have been like 14 or, or less when um, some of my favourite Square Pusher albums would have come out and just had no idea at the time. Where, where was this? Well, I was born in London and then sort of our family just kind of moved around all over the place. Eventually settled in um, Buckinghamshire and I went to school in Aylesbury that's actually where I met Jules Buckley, who's the yeah. heritage conductor. Yeah. So we've I've known him since I was fourteen, which is now terrifyingly over twenty years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Aylesbury Music Centre was an incredible, just incredible thing. They had a big band called Aylesbury Music Centre Dance Band, and loads of people I know came through that, and it was just a great. It was almost like a sort of foundation course, I would really? say, yeah. for like then going on to like music college. Without that, I. I don't think I would have ever entertained going to someone like Guildhall. And there was a guy called Nick Kerr who ran it. I feel pretty indebted to him for kind of basically kicking my ass. He's what every educator should be, you know. He was like, he only really cared about the students and and their development and everything. Dance band never had a guitar chair. Yeah. But he just said, just just come along, look over the pianist's shoulder mm. and just like, just figure out something to do. Right. And man, that really got my reading together. It really got my like comping together. And then he'd be like, solo. And I'd just be like, what? (laughs) And at this point, I'd only ever played like sort of bluesy lead guitar kind of stuff. And like trying to sort of get into that sort of sensibility, like took ages. And But yeah, that was really vital. Jules Buckley was still a trumpet player, a very talented trumpet player, actually. So he came through there as well. He went on to Guildhall. And I still had never really thought about doing the college route. He just said, oh man, just just audition, you'll get in. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of looked into it. A total jazz ignoramus still at the time. But I was getting into lots of records and really enjoying the music, but I'd never had a lesson, didn't really know tons about it. I did audition, didn't even audition for anywhere else. Really? Because I was yeah. so sort of ignorant yeah. of the whole situation. And got in and just and just went there. And I was by far the least developed jazz musician in my year. To the point where like, after one term I was like, is this, is, this, is this the best idea? Well, in my year there were people like Tom Challenger and George Fogel and Sam Bullard. Yeah. 
they either already had loads of stuff down or they just had such a, a vibe about them. Someone like Tom, he was kind of like a sort of unpolished diamond when we got there. But to be honest, that's, that was the best environment for me. You know, a lot of people did sort of drop out because in some ways that environment is quite unforgiving. But uh, I just kind of stuck through it and um, yeah, got better, got all right at playing jazz. You're listening to Noir by Ma. Coming up in just a second, Matt will talk about this band. Now, if you just tune into those glitchy drums. That's all Matt and his electronic wizardry. If you want to learn how he makes those sounds, then definitely check out the music making part of this episode, part B, because a lot of these same techniques Matt applies to the music that we make. When I left Guildhall, I got really like deep into Ableton, just producing tracks and everything, but also for like live processing. I kind of started, well, when someone showed it to me, I was like, wow, this is like, this is like the loop station I've always wanted. Yeah. As in, uh, you could use like a multi-track loop station that you can actually affect all the different loops individually. But the thing is, it was still a few stages away from actually being able to use it like that. Like there are still some things that it can't quite do that a boss loop station can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I originally started trying to kind of make it um, my version of a loop station, still using the guitar. But what I found was I'd, I would literally play like a bar of guitar and then I'd get in the computer and <laughs> yeah. just have my head in it for a while. And it, it wasn't actually very good for like immediate improvising and everything. Yeah. So eventually I kind of just ditched the guitar and was just like using it to process things like drums. And drums became my favorite thing to process and sample. Yeah. I think because of the sort of lack of intended pitches, I think the fact that it's all incidental pitches means that you can manipulate things without sort of getting in the way too much of what tonal instruments are playing uh -huh. yeah. so and that's something i've kind of like carried on through well i really started doing that a lot in the band ma with tom challenger but i still do a bit of that in strobes as well mm. well when i was playing with tom's band i remember doing a gig at pizza express and just sort of thinking this is kind of ridiculous that i'm sat at pizza express jazz club yeah. just with a laptop no <laughs> guitar but it was actually liberating because the thing that bugged me about like the jazz world was that when you played a gig, it would basically be to just other jazz musicians. Yeah. And you'd, I would start like vibing myself out by being like, is everyone going to judge me on this note choice or this yeah. kind of thing? And I, I just ended up finding that kind of a bit horrible. But I, I found that like doing the stuff with Tom, I don't know, it just it just felt like a bit more personal, yeah. you know, rather than being like, I'm playing my version of jazz on the guitar. It was just like, um, became way more enjoyable. I would love to get back into more improvisation. Could that oh, be a guitar? Could it? Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, result. Okay, well, we have an instrument. Uh, like charmingly boxy about it, like a yeah. music box. Yeah, I think that's that sort of, yeah, that little weird textural kind of element. But it's like, that's not really that hard to compose. <laughs> but that's... Okay, this guitar's actually quite good, even though it looks gross. 
<laughs> so we got going on making the music. This is available in a part B episode. You'll find that on your podcast apps. We're going to fast forward through this, dropping in to hear a little snippet of what the track sounds like. And then we're going to end up at the pub, having a chat about things like Brian Eno, Three Trap Tigers, drums, nice things like that. See you at the pub. Yeah, chuck that in, uh, potentially jam some variations on it. Mm -hmm. Just get the main bit in. Yeah. Uh Cheers on record. Yeah, let's get cheers on record. Uh, Good stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks for today. My pleasure. Sounded good. Yeah, really into it. So, Matt, I've got your present. Oh, that's unnecessary. Well, (laughs) say that now. Hold on. (laughs) Is it a tea towel? Is that? It it might be. I know what it is. (laughs) Wow. So uh, tea towel tigers. I thought it was a really easy pun to make. (laughs) (laughs) For those listening, it's it's a a now infamous Three Trap Tigers press shot that has been printed into a tea towel. Well, I could probably take great pleasure with wiping dirt off of plates with my bandmates' faces. So, uh, (laughs) pristine and clean. Yeah, I'll be, yeah. I might even cut myself out of this just to, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Excellent. There you go. So, on the subject of three-track tigers. I want to ask about the Brian Eno situation in the studio. And Well, he digs the band. I think he digs that it's like, it's progressive music. It's basically prog rock, but like updated somehow. Well, I think he just likes, maybe we talked about this earlier, he likes that it's, um, you know, it's, it's technical music, but it's played like in a visceral kind of way. It does have a sort of punk edge to it, yeah. you know. It's not pompous, or I hope it isn't. There's no capes anyway, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's more visceral, it's a bit more violent even, but it's also Mm. quite like glorious. This is Noise Trade from Three Trap Tigers' first album, Route One or Die. All the tracks to follow are from their last album, Silent Earthling. oblique strategy stuff yeah and he gets the cards out and like again it's just like what i was saying earlier about having a, a blank canvas you're kind of a bit like mm, 
where the hell to start? Or it's just even like a little written thing that's mm. very, it's almost like a horoscope in terms of how you can yeah. interpret it. Could you quickly explain what the oblique strategies are for someone listening that might not know? It's basically a deck of cards which have some sort of written instruction on them. And they might be something like, <laughs> reject the hero approach or something like that yeah. on them. I think you yeah. can get an app which has all of them now. Yeah, I think you can, yeah. But, you know, it's just um, it's just a cool way to sort of make the canvas a little less blank to start with. Yeah. Just, you know, because you could interpret some of them in such different ways. And what's also interesting is when maybe you get a band of three or four people and they all get one. So you're all kind of like, you're not allowed... Individually? Yeah, and you, the oh, idea is that you, you okay. don't say it. You just maybe start something and see where that kind of leads. So that's interesting. That's, that's actually something that I think well, more people could do. Especially when you're like, if you're trying to improvise and you're trying to get away from maybe like the cliches of improvising. That's always something that I was kind of up for, for sort of working on with, with improvised groups. And some people just really aren't up for that. Yeah. It's like, I just want to play, man. Yeah. I don't want to think yeah. about it. I don't want to, I don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, fair yeah. enough. I completely understand that. It leads, it leads to interesting places and actually a lot of contemporary dance functions in that way they'd give you something really abstract and like you have to perform that with your body you know that's a good yeah. analogy yeah yeah I mean with music it becomes even more abstract I think how do you express anything through sound other mm. than in very literal ways sometimes but like um, yeah I think I think that kind of process of just just a bit of steering without sort of really telling people explicitly what to do it's actually quite good in terms of time in the studio well the last album Silent yeah. Earthling was well because all the drum parts are very demanding we booked like five days in, a, in a, an actual studio, pretty much just to concentrate on drums. That's where probably most of the work goes into making our albums, actually. Just like nailing the arrangements. Certainly nailing this kind of like the drum arrangement. You said earlier that a lot of the tracks would begin as a drum groove or pattern or something like that yeah. that you'd spring up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think most of my music does start from a sort of rhythmic element, one way or another. I did write most of that album. Yeah, I mean, most of those tunes that I wrote started from a, a drum pattern, yeah. one way or another. You know, I like to go around being like, I wrote all the drum parts for the Three Trap Tigers, but it's like, <laughs> I wouldn't write them for anyone else. You know, yeah. Adam yeah. Betts is like, he's such a, he's such a generous collaborator. You know, so many people could be like, no, I'm, only, I'm not going to play your, yeah. I'm going to yeah. make my own one. But I think he, he relishes the challenge of like, because I think a lot of those drum beats, they're not maybe the most obvious. They're not just like fall right under the hands. You know, they do require quite a lot of working out. And then we'll like tweak them together so that they really flow. And well, there's one track on the end of Silent Earthling called Elsewhere. And the working title was just called Matt's Fast Beat. Yeah. Because it was like, a, it was a program thing that didn't really have any like acoustic drum sounds in it. It was just like this cool sort of like quite hectic thing. And I gave him some of the sounds to work onto the SPDS, but most of it was just like, let's just let's just rework it for like your sort of kit setup. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, and it ended up sounding sounding awesome. Elsewhere.
some of them it's more just like okay this is definitely like kick snare hats or kick snare ride or whatever yeah and they're like rainbow road is well it's really just variations on one little drum phrase a tiny drum phrase that yeah. goes in different iterations <laughs> you know <laughs> you know all this kind of stuff yeah so it's yeah. like okay well i know he's going to be able to play it maybe no other drummer i know can play it right but i know adam's going to be able to rise to that and um you know that's through doing our stuff with goldie and you know he's let it play with square pusher so it's like mm. all these projects have really like ramped up his ability definitely so with that in mind it's like okay well now I, we've, we can harness that in the band rainbow road Grams as well. Well, that was kind of like after going to some sort of jungle rave with one of my mates. The guy who played uh, bass on Tightbrain, actually, Tom Mason. Yeah. He's actually like a jungle DJ as well. Right. But he took me to some night, just listened to Amen Breaks the whole night. Yeah. And the next day I was kind of like, okay, I want to get some of that vibe. But for some reason, the thing I started beatboxing to myself was like a 6 4 version of something like that. Okay. You know, yeah. the sort of. Um, So yeah. like that's basically the, the provenance of these things and that's often like the missing ingredient for some of these pieces like say the start of engrams was some really old material this really like melodic kind of thing and i was just like okay where's this going to go and we did loads of jamming together just like tramming and trying stuff it just wasn't really kind of happening and that beat and we jammed to that and we just like finally sort of came up with something to go with it but that was from thinking very much about the drum part yeah. and okay how can I get something that isn't just like start on the one change chords start on the one trying to get this boom boom you know go across the, the, the bar I don't know this is like super nerdy but like maybe it's not even that interesting for anyone Yeah, so definitely all about drums for me. It doesn't have yeah. to be like that. It's just like, that's just what always kind of seems to energize me. It's funny that you go to an instrument that isn't your instrument to begin with. Yeah, you must have had that when you sit at a keyboard and you like play a chord and you just sort of roll your eyes at yeah. the familiarity of it. Yeah. The same could be the same yeah. with guitar, anything. If you're playing like rock music, that's the thing that kind of really unlocks 
things working or not, mm. the drum parts, you know. So <laughs> maybe that's why it seems like a, yeah. a good place to start. I mean, we, me and my brothers, we grew up with a drum kit in the house. I can kind of play a little, but I, you know, can't really play. I can, I understand the function of it, and I love drums. You know, I know a lot of drum parts from lots of records. It's just one of those instruments that really excites me. That's it for part A of this episode. Don't forget to check out part B, which is where Matt and I make a track together using his lovely new Resonator guitar, which finally showed up. So go and check that out when you get a chance. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Matt. I've been a big fan of the music that he makes. It's been a huge influence on the music that I make. So it's an absolute honor to work with him and spend a day with him to chat about his new album and some of the projects that he's involved with. I'm sure you'll agree he's very articulate when it comes to talking about music. Lots of very inspiring opinions and views that I'm sure we can all take a few lessons from. Apologies if you wanted to hear more about things like the Heritage Orchestra, Strobes, Ma and Evil X. We just didn't get around to it, but there is a Spotify playlist that I've made, which has got all the music from this episode, as well as a selection of things from all of those projects I've just mentioned. You can find that on the Excuse the Mess website, which is etmpodcast.com. If you want to keep hearing from Matt, then visit his website, mattcalvert.co.uk, or on Twitter at mjcalv. It's also on Instagram, Matthew J. Calvert. And if you so desire, you can follow Excuse the Mess on Twitter, ETM Pod, or on Instagram, ETM Podcast. Don't forget, Matt's album, Typewritten, will be out on the 12th of October on Truant Records. It's going to be their first release. And then there's going to be the album launch with the full ensemble on the 15th of October at Set in Dalston. Uh, I'm going to be there. You should go too. It's going to be good. And whilst I'm talking about gigs, there's also a really great night coming up two really great nights coming up on the 6th of October in London and the 7th of October in Leeds that's going to be Three Trap Tigers which you've been listening to a lot of with a bunch of other mind-scrambling rock bands that are signed to the Blood and Biscuits label it's their 10th anniversary so you're going to have Physics House Band Gallops Strobes and Adam Betts as well as Three Trap Tigers playing so that's going to be a pretty wild one an abundance of thanks to you for checking out this final episode of the series. If you enjoyed listening to this one, then there's eight more episodes with eight different composers that you can check out. Please do subscribe to Excuse the Mess on iTunes. Uh, even better, you can leave a review and all of that stuff is super helpful when it comes to getting the word out. And feel free to share this episode in whatever way you see fit. Here's the rest of Silent Earthling, the title track from Three Trap Tigers 2016 album. Catch you later. Cheers, bye-bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.